You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. God's Word. If you have uh, the Bible and the pews in front of you, you can use those, or you can use your phone, um, whatever you'd like to use. Um, the passage is going to be Mark 4, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, and I'll give you a minute to find that. New Testament, one of the first parts of the New Testament, one of the four Gospels, and chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And finishing with verse 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care if we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So we're looking at the, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and um, there's copies down here. You can come down if you're an adult uh, and get one, if you don't have one, or a child. And it is written for children uh, primarily, but it's certainly more than a children's book. Uh, the tagline is, Every Story Whispers His Name, and it's about all these stories in the Bible and how all of them point to Jesus. They're really all about Jesus. So... Um, we're looking at a ton of stories uh, this summer, this fall, and um, this one pretty obviously points to Jesus because it's about Jesus. But um, the premise of the whole book is that uh, there's this great story, okay? The Bible, if you don't know anything about the Bible, if you're kind of new to the Bible, here's a very short version of it. Um, God created the world uh, in God's image, uh, and he created uh, human beings as uh, creatures that would have dominion. Uh, and we were made to spread God's dominion across this planet. And what we were supposed to do is take 
the kind of chaos, just the raw materials of our planet, which were not really assembled at all, kind of like Legos. You put together all the Legos and you build something beautiful. We were supposed to take God's raw materials and spread from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, spread out across the globe and fill the globe with God's dominion that reflects his creativity. I mean, he took formlessness and void and he put order and he put uh, things in the order. So he formed and filled what was formless and void. And we're supposed to reflect that back to him. So that was the first part. That's the first part of the story. That Christians believe that we are created in the image of God for dominion. And then right after that happens in the Bible, the next thing that happens is we fall. We, uh, we rebel against God. We set up on our own. We try to be autonomous, be a law to ourselves. And when we do that, we, we move from dominion into domination. And we use things and we exploit things. And we use our power over the creatures, over the animals, over the, the, um, the, the, the rocks, the, 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 um, the dirt, the plants, the grass, everything. And we just exploit it. And we use it for our own glory, not for God's glory. And so we fall from dominion to domination. And we spread domination across the world instead of dominion. That's the second part of the story. And the third part of the story is what... Sally Lloyd-Jones calls the secret rescue plan. And that God has instituted a secret plan because it started very small and very secretive. It started with this man named Abraham. And from Abraham, he would create a race of people, the Jewish people, from whom would come the Messiah. And from that one little tiny baby, God would rescue the world. And he would turn domination back to dominion. And he would make everything sad become untrue. And as we said in that confession... Uh, he would set all the wrongs to right. And he's going to bring justice on the earth. All of those things. And so this is a, a story of this uh, calming of the storm. And this is a great picture of God stilling uh, all of the chaos of the world. All of the, the mess we've made of this world. This giant wave. I love this you know, full two-page picture of this little tiny boat on these huge waves with lightning and thunder, and it just depicts the world of chaos that we created, and how God comes as a human being, as Jesus Christ, and he sits in the boat with us, and he calms the storm down. So I want to look at the storms first, because our lives are filled with storms, and then number two, how Jesus comes and he sits in the boat with us, and he, he, uh, he, he is with us in every storm. So first of all, in verse 35, it says, when the evening had come... He said to the disciples, let us go across the other side. He leads them right into this. And uh, he leads them into a very dangerous place. If you've been to the Sea of Galilee, I have not been there. But apparently it is like a big mixing bowl. And it's, uh, it's this lake. It's not really a sea. It's a lake. And it's surrounded by these big hills that go down 700 feet. So they curve down. And the, the lake is in this bowl. And there are these, uh, these crevices in the mountain, these, these mountain passes. And the wind just comes blowing through, cold air through those mountains, the cracks uh, in the mountain, those crevices, and it can create this gigantic storm very quickly. This is a well-known fact, even today. It still happens in the, lake of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Galilee. So uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 23, he says a windstorm came down on the lake, which is a great description, very technically accurate description. A windstorm just came down. And then Matthew is even more... Um, more specific, he says in Matthew eight twenty four, a huge quake hit the lake. It just hit the lake. The surface of the lake was hit by a quake. 
And so, again, this is a common thing in, in, in the Sea of Galilee that you could have a storm suddenly rise up out of nowhere. And if you've been in a storm on a lake or on the ocean, what feels like totally calm, you know, wonderful, beautiful day, the sun is out, uh, sun is shining, the lake is completely still, and then all of a sudden, you know, these flat seas can just become massive, 10-foot waves with, uh, becomes cold, the sky goes black, the wind becomes violent. Verse 37 says that waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So there's a very uh, realistic picture of what it would be like to be in a storm on a lake. And I love how the Storybook Bible puts this, uh, again, with that picture that I, I particularly enjoy. Uh, she says, the storm blew water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, 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 and then sent it hurtling down, down, down. And I think that all three gospel writers, three of the four, have this story in there because they know that these storms are, are a depiction of instability, the instability of human life, where you sometimes your feet are just, the ground gives way beneath your feet. And it's like everything is just in turmoil all of a sudden. You know, you're, you're, um, in, in Matthew 8.25, the disciples simply say, Lord, save, dying. That's what it says in, the, in Greek. It just, it's just three, three, uh, three, three petitions. Lord, save, dying. Matthew 8.25. So sometimes we get in these situations where you know, our prayers are just like these desperate, short gasps of breath. Because you can't even really get your feet underneath yourself. And you're, you're in a, suddenly you're in a violent storm. Like ten minutes ago you were fine. And then all of a sudden it's like your life is just completely out of balance. And you don't know which way is up. And it usually happens when your identity is just rocked by like a rogue wave. Something just comes in. It's usually about belonging. Like who are my people and who am I? Those two questions. We ask ourselves those questions apparently like dozens of times per second. We are always asking that of ourselves. Who am I and who are my people? And that is just rocks by a, a rogue wave. And then pretty soon, next thing you know, you're, you're blaming God. You're yelling at God. And, and this is what they do in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And you say to Jesus, Jesus, do you not care that my life is completely upside down? Have you no feelings at all? Do you not see where I am? And again, it's usually about things um, where you're, you're cut off in some relationship. And there's some kind of storm in a relationship. A lot of times a family system can become a storm pretty quickly. One thing gets out of place, and pretty soon you're just completely rocked. Um, it could be a company you work for, and you thought it was calm and still, and everything was going well, and all of a sudden you're out. Or you're marginalized, or you, um, you get rejected by some group that you try to be a part of, and you're just being left out over and over again. You really, you're getting the picture now. They just don't want me to be a part of them, and that kind of rocks your identity. And I will say that the more our culture focuses on the self as kind of the locus of reality, the more unstable we're going to get. Our boat's going to get smaller. We're not going to have anybody else in the boat with us. And as we kind of create our own identity and make images of ourselves, you know, even on social media, as I was, I was Venmoing today and just noticing the little avatars we have where you, have little, you create your own picture of yourself, even that little tiny effort to make a picture of yourself to show the world this is who I am, it kind of, it, it makes you think about yourself. 
I mean, none of us are being nefarious or it's not like some conspiracy theory we have. We're just being lured by the culture into constructing an identity. Even in our posts, the way we post about ourselves, even down to the level of defining yourself in terms of your gender, which puts a lot of pressure on someone to be told, like, you can define yourself at almost the deepest level of your being. That's a lot of pressure. And the boat gets small and the self is rocked more and more by the waves. So we ask ourselves, again, who are my people? Uh, How do they see me? How are they viewing me right now? Are they the right group of people that I'm in? Am I I in the group of people that's the in group of people? There was a uh, a student at Wake Forest who uh, was being very vulnerable. And she said, uh, there's such a strong desire to belong at Wake Forest that you end up getting your identity from people telling you who you are. I don't know if y'all can relate to that at all. Um, you define yourself by being part of the group, whether it's a sports team or a frat or a sorority or RUF or some other ministry. She says it creates storms because all of a sudden, you know, within seconds, you start thinking about yourself the wrong way and you are just completely out of balance. You're, you're off kilter. Uh, you're not right. And you can apply that quote to where whatever community you live in. Um, my wife had this conversation at Wake Forest more than one time. So it goes like this. Uh, she's asked, uh, so what sorority are you in? Apparently 80% of women are in sorority. So she's asked, what sorority are you in? She's like, uh, actually, I'm not in one. And the next question is, oh, really? So did you rush? And the implication there is that, you know, she must have been rejected. Did you rush? It's like, a, that's a big wave. Just somebody asks, somebody just going to ask you a little question like that. And it just rocks you. Um, I got cut from the basketball team three times in high school. And that, for, I don't know if as much, if it's as strong with women, I have talked to a lot of young men where that can be like right at the center of your identity in high school sports. Is Somebody was telling me that he, uh, he got the yips in a certain sport he was really good at. The yips means like you suddenly can't pitch or you can't hit or you blow layups or, you know, you miss wide open goals, but these things just, especially when you're young, even now though, as a 52 year old, when I'm playing basketball and I play terribly, it kind of rocks me a little bit. But these, these storms where you get broken up with, your, your beloved breaks up with you to go to another lover, that's about as big as any storm can be, where you just feel worthless. People forget about you on, on a big day, they just completely ignore you. Verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? We're afraid because these storms arise. That's the first point. Storms. So the second point is that Jesus is with us in our storms. I love this little detail that he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. I, I love that detail. And the reason I love that detail is because they found what they now call the Jesus boat, which was found in 1986. A lot of people like me, when I went to seminary, think that the Gospels, these stories in the Gospels were written many, many years, maybe dozens, maybe even some think like a hundred years after the fact. Okay, And so they're full of legends. It's kind of like the game of telephone where you go around, you pass a story around. By the time you get to the end of that story, it's completely different from the way the first person told it. So that's the way that I went to seminary. I went to seminary thinking that's what the Gospels were like. Well, they found a Jesus boat in the northwest corner of Lake Galilee. And it's about the size of four canoes, which is about right for these people in this boat in the story. 
And in the back, guess what there is? There's a cushion in the stern. And this just kind of shows you that these, the Gospels are not legends. If you came in here thinking they were myths or that um, they were written long after the event with really not much awareness of the actual time and place, if you, if you know somebody that thinks that, just tell them about this little verse, Mark 4:38. He was in the stern asleep on a cushion. I mean, if you read the story of like the, the Greek mythology or Norse mythology, it doesn't say like that Thor was asleep downstairs in his bedroom in Asgard under a woolen blanket. That's not the type of thing. It doesn't say things like that in a myth. This is a real man. Jesus was a real man. And he was on a real boat and he was on a real cushion asleep. But he had these superpowers. Now, he didn't have Thor's hammer, but he had these superpowers of anti-anxiety superpower. And when he is in the boat with us, we get his anti-anxiety superpower, which is a good superpower to have. Edward Freeman, uh, Edward Friedman had this famous quote about being a great leader. He said, the function of a leader within any institution, if you're leading, make note, the function of any leader of any institution is to provide regulation. That's like emotional regulation through their non-anxious, self-defined presence. So to be a great leader in any organization, any group of people, if you can bring in a non-anxious, self-defined presence where you know who you are and you're not anxious, that will go a long way in leadership. Even if you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're doing at any moment, just being a non-anxious presence is huge. And Jesus was certainly non-anxious. I mean, he's asleep in a huge storm. Giant waves, the boat's going like this, and he's asleep. He knows who he is. Uh, again, the storybook Bible says the, the disciples yelled out, rescue us, save us. They shrieked. I love that word. They shrieked with a shrill voice. Don't you care? They asked. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. Hush. I always imagine the scene like he, he kind of woke up and he, uh, he took off his, he didn't wear glasses, but he took off his, he's like, oh, okay, there's a storm. And he, he stretched, you know, and he kind of, just took his time. Uh, he wasn't the least bit hurried. And he just kind of went like this. Hey, hey, guys. Like they're like yapping dogs. You know, calm down. Calm down. I got this. Like he, re- he rebuked the wind in verse 39 is a word that he would use of a person. He's like, hush, hush. Very simple command on Jesus' part. Now, again, this is a person in a cushion in the stern of a boat that we found in 1986, or at least a boat like that. This is a real story. Can you imagine being with a man in a boat like that who just kind of says, hush, calm down, and all of a sudden, complete stillness? The Storbrook Bible says the wind and the waves recognized his voice. They had heard it before. It was the same voice that made them. The one who made the wind and the waves is now telling them to be calm. St. Jerome of the 4th century said, creation recognizes her creator at this point. Creation recognized her creator. Hush, be still. Jesus, Jesus is so non-anxious that he has the gall to ask them in verse 40. And I don't know if he had a smile on his face, if this was ironic, or if he was dead serious. But he says, why were you so afraid? And Peter's like, um, there were like 10-foot waves five minutes ago, and that's generally a source of fear. We thought we were going to die in this lake. Why are we so afraid? But then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends, again, the Stork Bible, and he said, did you forget who I am? And I love this line. Did you believe your fears 
instead of me? Did you focus on your fear instead of me? The point of this story is not necessarily that the storm was stilled. That's kind of a secondary point, that he stilled the storm. The primary point is that the stiller of the storm is with you. That the one who stills all storms, not just a physical storm on Lake Galilee. But notice how their fear increases. I love that detail in verse 41. It says they were filled with a great fear. At first they just were afraid. Now it says they were filled with a great fear. And they said to one another, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. That's almost a direct quote from the Old Testament about Yahweh who stills the wind and the waves. In other words, they were, they were afraid of the storm. They were really afraid of the stiller of the storm. Really, really afraid. They were more afraid than they were when the storm was there. They're like, who in the world is this that's in the boat with us? Because this person has power over nature. Mother nature herself. Oswald Chambers. I got this from uh, this podcast. Uh, that I listen to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The Pour Over podcast, great podcast. It's the best way to get your news. Three days a week, five minutes, verses in between every news story, absolutely unbiased. I cannot tell which side they're coming from. It is the best way to get your news. And they always have a quote. So this was the quote on, I believe, Wednesday. Oswald Chambers, if you fear God, you'll be afraid of nothing else. If you don't fear God, you'll be afraid of everything else. Fearing God is the way that you are not afraid of everything else, is you fear God more than everything else. In Matthew 8, 26, he says to them, oh, you have little faith. And I always took that as like, you, you guys are pathetic. You have no faith at all. But what he really meant by that is, you don't fear me enough. You need to fear me more. Oh, you have little faith means uh, you don't realize who I am, the magnitude of who it is that you're with. So it's more, we need more fear but a different object of fear. We need to shift our object of fear from the storm to the Lord of the storms. Psalm 107, 28, they cried to Yahweh in their distress and he stilled the storm and he hushed the waves. So Jesus is doing what Yahweh is doing in the Old Testament. The incarnation of Jesus is simply this, that the the God, uh, the way that the God of Israel spoke and acted is the way Jesus speaks and acts. He spoke and did the things that the God of Israel spoke and did, which is especially true right here. Apparently in, uh, in the hospital, at least where my wife works at Novant, they have these things, and I think I got this right. It's called a positive pressure room. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but in a positive pressure room, um, the air pressure is so high in that room that it, um, it drives out other air. Air cannot come into that room because the air pressure is so high in that room. So any kind of germ virus that would come into that room is driven out of that room. Positive pressure room. The analogy is that um, the reign of Jesus is so powerful and the the shalom, the peace of Jesus is so powerful that he pushes away all other fears. Uh, The fear of God is so strong and and fear of God means awe. It just means you're, you're in awe of the one who is with you. You're in awe of the fact that God is with you. And when you have that fear, it's like a positive pressure. It just pushes out all other fears. Again, the Storybook Bible says, Immediately the sea glittered in the moonlight, and the waves lapped quietly against the side of the boat. And I love that picture. The purple, they're smiling in the boat, the reflection of the boat in the water. 
The, the waves lapped quietly against the side of the boat. There's this phrase, uh, a nautical phrase, that we're all in the same boat. We've, we've all heard that phrase. And um, it just means it's kind of nautical slang for uh, the sailors are all going to go down together. We're all in the same boat. You've probably heard that phrase before. God comes and he says, we're all in the same boat. I'm with you in the storm. I'm not leaving. God didn't come down and parachute in for a weekend. Uh, Jesus didn't come down to us and just hang out for a little while and then go back to heaven. He came down and he said, I'm never leaving you. Never. I am in the same boat with you. I'm in the same storm with you. And even to this day, Jesus remains a human being with scars. He, he never abandoned ship. Never. He stayed to the bitter end in the boat with us. There's another nautical phrase that says that the captain goes down with a ship. And that simply means that if you're the captain of a boat, you do not ever leave the ship. You're the last one on that ship. And if it goes down, you go down. You have to go down with it. There was actually a really famous case in Italy in 2012 where this captain named Francesco Cittino did not go down with the ship. He abandoned uh, 32 people that did go down with the ship and he swam away. He swam away quickly because he knew the ship was going down. He got caught, arrested, and put in prison for a really, really long time because the captain goes down with the ship. And if you've seen the movie Titanic, one of the the greatest uh, or at least best-selling movies of all time, I'm not going to give away the ending to that one because I think you already know what happens. The ship goes down. Um, But one really realistic part of that movie is that there was a captain on that ship named Edward Smith. He's Scottish. Scottish. And he is on the Titanic. And uh, this is a true story. as, As the boat's going down, people saw him going up to the bridge. Just to, to go up to the bridge to make sure that if, the, if there's anyone else that could be saved, they would be saved. And that just like, that's exactly the opposite of Francesco, Catina, Edward Smith. Jesus went down, he went down with the ship. And when this world went to hell, he went down. And this meal says, I am not going to ever Remember, we love these rascals.